Welcome to the Some Days Here podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. So glad you're here. Some Days Here is a podcast for AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander leaders. In each episode, we discuss how we navigate living in both Eastern and Western worlds and how the unique blend of our experiences influences our faith, our life, and our leadership. Hey everyone, welcome to Someday is Here. It's so great to be back and to kick off season four. When I was dreaming of the lineup of guests, my very first top choice was Eugene Cho. He is the president and CEO of Bread for the World, which we will talk about. It's a prominent nonpartisan Christian advocacy organization, which helps urge our elected leaders to help end hunger both in the U.S. and around the world. He is a pastor of local churches for nearly 30 years. He's also the founder and visionary of One Day's Wages, a grassroots movement of people, stories, and actions to alleviate extreme global poverty. So you can see this through line in Eugene's life. He's published a couple books, including his most recent, which was nominated for a Christian Book of the Year in 2020. It's called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk, A Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the content there today as well. Eugene and his wife Minhee have been married for 25 years and have three grown children. So it is such a great honor and just good to see you, Eugene. Thank you so much for being on the Someday is Here podcast. Vivian, thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on season four. Thank you for those words about being number one on your list. Absolutely. I'm gonna boast that to every single guest that you have in this season. No, but truly, uh, I want folks that are listening to know, uh, you and I have journeyed as friends for numerous years, and it has been uh, a, a privilege and a joy to see you walk in faithfulness. And I am, again, truly delighted to spend some time with you today. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I look around in our current cultural moment, and I see that there is so much polarization and division. And your book came out in 2020. And I, when I think about what the listening community and really the church broadly needs right now is really, we're tired. <laughs> we are still in a pandemic and we're trying to navigate that. And I just thought, I would love to have Pastor Eugene Cho just pasture us, shepherd us through some of that. So I just wanted to kind of broadly throw out just from the beginning, just how, what do you see from where you sit? Um, what do you see as the trends that are taking place in our nation? What, what do we need to know in this moment? Yeah, that's a big question. And I feel like in that question, there were lots of numerous questions and I'll maybe tackle a couple of them. And I suspect that throughout our conversation, we'll be touching on some other things. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling overwhelmed, join the club. <laughs> and I think all of us are feeling this way. And so we almost need to collectively acknowledge what's going on, even if we don't quite uh, if we're not quite able to articulate the exact specifics of all that's going on, but we can feel it. Mm 
-hmm. Now, sometimes uh, when you know that your body is in some sort of trauma or pain, and someone asks you, "Do you know the exact reason?" You don't know, and so you're 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 going to professionals and friends and counselors, and they're trying to assess what it is. And I feel like we can all generally sense that something feels off uh, mm. in our current world right now. And so it's important to acknowledge it. It's important to breathe. It's important to give ourselves space and grace mm. uh, to be able to breathe, to be able to retreat, to be able to Sabbath, to be able to pray, to be able to mourn and lament. And these aren't always things that we openly talk about with mm. our friends or even our church communities, but I think that's important. But having said that, I also want to say not to take away from what I just shared and what's going on now, and I'll talk about it soon, but I think it's always been like this in some way or the other. Mm. I think every generation has looked out into the larger world culture and said, hey, something feels a little off. Mm. Uh, I remember as a young kid, not having any theological acumen or substance before I was a Christian, even as a young kid, I could look out into the world from my experiences and deduce something's not right with our world. That's right. uh, the, the, the world that my parents try to uh, create for me of safety and warmth, mm -hmm. um, while it was partly true, it wasn't a full, accurate depiction of the larger world and even of our own family, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I want to just also acknowledge that this is not, again, to diminish what's going on in our world. But when I think about when Jesus arrived in God's perfect sovereignty, when, when Jesus enters into human history, the world was in some major crisis, right? Whether it's Caesar Augustus's Pax Romana, make Rome great again, whether it's King Herod initiating a massacre of all Jewish baby boys, uh, there was uh, reportedly 400 years of waiting and silence between the Old and New Testament, no prophets, no prophecy, the division between Jews and Gentiles, the incredible disparity between the rich and the poor. I mean, it was really, really sobering and difficult during that time. Yeah. And, and for me, it's a reminder that Jesus came during the darkest hour uh, bringing hope and light. And even in times of apparent silence, mm -hmm. apparent tension and pain and difficulty, uh, God is not absent. Mm. God is at work and God is not yet done. Uh, so I, I need to preach this for myself. This isn't for you or for your audience. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just preaching this to myself because I need to hear this because I do feel overwhelmed at times. Mm -hmm. To your more specific question about, hey, like, what's this moment all about? The political polarization, this didn't happen two years ago. Mm -hmm. It didn't start six years ago. It didn't start 10 years ago. I mean, I think in the last two or three decades, it's really began to ramp up. Mm. I think what's different is that now this is the cultural momentum. It's not just a few people or a handful of people or pockets of people, but it's becoming what feels like a larger choir within our larger society who begins to see politics 
as the main way in which they identify not only themselves, Mm -hmm. but others as well. And there's been recent research that has really supported this, I think, very challenging phenomena that politics is now the main way in which we see ourselves and see others, even within the church world. I think that's the reason why it feels so overwhelming. Mm, that's so, so true. And it's, it, I can remember times being able to have conversation with different friends or family members about politics, and it wasn't as heated. And uh, there was ability to at least come together and find places of agreement. But in recent times, it's almost a, a sense of us, them, um, the enemy, uh, a very demeaning language that's thrown around from both sides. And I, I do find myself surprised that to me, it seemingly are at the core of it are a lot of Christians. And um, when I look at social media, sometimes I think, you know, when Jesus talks about in John 13, that they will know that we are Christians by our love. I just think, wow, the Christians are sometimes the worst on social media. And it's really sobering because I think of people who aren't followers of Christ looking in and seeing us hurling so many insults and um, using language. I've personally been the recipient of some things, and I know that you absolutely have. So I'm curious how you've navigated that when the family of God is one actually like, you know, coming at you with such- Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard and it's challenging. It's painful at mm-hmm. times. Uh, I think I've had more, uh, I guess, uh, angry or disappointed emails in the last few years ever since the book came out i've had engagements get canceled i've had other leaders reach out uh saying certain things that i probably don't want to repeat here so it has been hard but i guess there's a couple things that that i will say number one is i don't want to blame it all on christians and i know that that's not what you're doing you're simply saying that it hasn't um that christians necessarily haven't stood out in the more positive way Mm -hmm. so a few things. I, I do think that this is really, uh, it's, it's part of our larger culture right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look at our cable news or just our news in general, it's, it's what causes people to respond. It's clickbait in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that. And I also think that there are some Christians, some people within the larger church, some people who identify as Christians that have really allowed their politics to inform their theology and praxis rather than their theology and praxis to inform their politics. So mm-hmm. if our theology is, you know, we should be known by our love, like that's biblical. It's from the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so clear, uh, yet that isn't always what shapes and informs our politics and our engagement in person or online but I think it's our zest to be right, our zest to win, our zest to conquer others that I think overrides everything else. Mm. Uh, and, and that's challenging. But at the same time, I don't want to make the mistake of what I sometimes criticize. And, and it's this. Um, I think if we're not careful, we end up dehumanizing those we disagree with. And in that process, we end up doing the very thing that we're criticizing in others. 
That's right. And, and so it's our self-righteousness. So I want to be careful. Mm-hmm. I want to guard my heart. And I want to be, be really cautious that I'm not making these sweeping generalizations, mm-hmm. you know, about all of these kinds of Christians, all of these people that live in the South or the Northwest or in mm-hmm. California. Yeah. Um, and because I, it hurts when I think people make generalizations mm-hmm. um, about, about people that might look like me. Yeah. or are part of the uh, denomination that I'm a part of, or part of folks that use or are, that care about justice issues. Uh, we, we live in a world right now where there are so many sweeping generalizations, and frankly, it's lazy. Mm. Uh, I think it's wrong. I think it's dangerous. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And I want to be careful that I don't do that as well mm. in my self-righteousness, because sometimes I can't see it. And the other thing that I would say is, while those things may take place, I also know that there are lots of women and men of all ages and backgrounds, faith and non-faith, who are trying to have honest questions yes. of integrity, mm-hmm. of honesty, of vulnerability, knowing that they disagree, but still trying to be a good neighbor to one another. And and I've learned, Vivian, that you can't be a good neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. Like if you don't know them, everything Mm -hmm. outside of that is theological gymnastics. It really is. It's all nebulous. It's all abstract. And so when Jesus says to love your neighbors, he's not thinking and speaking about hypothetical terms. Yeah, That's the reason why he... I mean, he does lots of radical, scandalous, crazy, supernatural things. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the parts about his ministry that I think is the most radical is when he chooses to eat or speak or engage with people he was not supposed to engage with. That's right. So that's, that's what gives me hope mm. uh, amid challenging times. Yeah. Hey everyone, if you're looking for a new Bible study, I want to tell you about one from my friends at Women of Welcome. I love them. They are such a great organization. Um, Their team has created a beautiful, simple, and free Bible study that can be done individually or with a group. Women of Welcome is a community dedicated to diving into the whole of Scripture to understand God's heart for the immigrant and refugee. The welcome of Christ was astonishing to the culture around him. He gave voice to the speechless, frustrated the powerful, and humbled the wise. As Christians, our welcome should be like his, wonderfully surprising, deeply challenging, and firmly rooted in love. And that's true as I study the scriptures and I learn about how people are made in the image of God, Imago Dei. And having that view of people changes how I interact with the people around me, especially those who come from a different background. So when you start following Women of Welcome and learning from them, you venture into a journey of understanding biblical hospitality in a fresh and authentic way. A great starting point is their Christ-like welcome study, and you can download it for free today. Spend five weeks in the Word exploring the beautiful welcome of Jesus toward His most beloved creation, human beings. To download your free copy of the Christ-like welcome study, visit womenofwelcome.com slash Vivian. That's womenofwelcome.com slash Vivian for your free Bible study. Enjoy.
Hey everyone, taking a quick break to kind of focus in on the topic of marriage. My husband and I have been married for 31 years and we have the privilege of speaking at marriage conferences across the country. And marriage is challenging and there are a lot of challenging topics to navigate. And 31 years ago, I would have really appreciated um, the kind of content that I'm about to share with you. Countdown to Marriage is an online course that's created by Legacy Family Ministries. And it's set to help couples have a meaningful and fulfilling marriage. It's uh, designed to help engage couples to connect and to lay a solid foundation before saying I do. In this six-session course, Legacy Family Ministries walks couples through practical topics such as communication styles and conflict management and sexual intimacy, shared finances, and how to navigate relationships with in-laws. Those are the topics that really are often at the root of a lot of conflict in marriage. This course is led by Byron and Carla Weathersby. Who have spent nearly 30 years preparing thousands of couples for marriage, including Chip and Joanna Gaines. The Countdown to Marriage course provides engaging training videos, actionable resources from each lesson, and important discussion questions to get couples talking about what matters most. So if you're engaged to be married or know someone who is, visit LegacyCountdown.com slash online and enter the code IBMedia to save 25% off the cost of the course. Again, that's LegacyCountdown.com slash online and use IV, that's I-V-E-Y, media at checkout to receive this discount. Marriage is an important relationship and the investment into these topics before you say I do will yield such benefits. So check out this great opportunity. So, so helpful. I, I agree with you. And I've been in conversation where I think there are many more. Vivian, how dare you agree with me? <laughs> No, I'm coming towards, moving towards in the midst of everything. But it's yeah. true. I, I think that there are a large portion that may not be as vocal, that are kind of more central and trying to lean in to understand more how people conclude on this side or the other side or whatever that it's, it's not being necessarily um, modeled that or revealed that we have a, a, a large number of people who, as you just described, who are seeking very honestly to understand how people land where they land. And um, uh, yeah, I just appreciate so much what you just shared. Um, I'm curious, with your work for Bread for the World, I'd love for you to talk about a little bit more of that. When I think about global hunger, and even hunger in the United States, um, this is a huge monumental task, and it's in a time when there are so many other crises going on at the same time. Um, there's a vying for um, the moment so that, so that there can be, so the issues can be put forth before people. And in this case, you know, just being in the government talking through policy, even. Um, how do you? keep hope and how do you help believers to not become numbed out mm. to 
the reality of hunger because it's easy to have in our social media feed you know one or two things that we just keep scrolling um, mm. and not stopping to really consider the situation and I, yep. I would love for you i mean this is to me there's challenges on so many levels but yeah speak to what you are seeking to do through bread for the world and yeah. even how you navigate that yourself yeah yeah this is a great question and probably one that you need to have me back for another sure podcast. i would I'm love that <laughs> like self-inviting myself uh, yes. all, all, all strategic no but this is really hard because we know there's been research that's done vivian where the human brain, this is fascinating and even troubling, but there's been research done and it's still ongoing, but there's, they're basically researching on the attention span of the human mind. Mm -hmm. And there are some scientists that are now speculating that we're competing with goldfish, our mm -hmm. attention span. And part of it is because we live in the frenzy of 24-7 cable news. Mm. You know, a, a year ago, we were just inundated with all things Afghanistan, and rightfully so, um, with the withdrawal of American presence there, leading to the Taliban's emergence, leading to a humanitarian crisis That's that right. we needed to respond. I don't know a year later if people still know that a million children under the age of five might die within the next 12 months because of hunger in that country. Uh, I know that I'm dating this podcast, but you know, right now the big news item is the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And again, we, we know very important, historical, notable figure but it feels like this is the only thing that many people are speaking mm -hmm. about. All in the meanwhile, uh, there are certain tragedies that get pushed out to the fringes in some part because they're always there. Right. And hunger is one of those issues. It's always there. Mm -hmm. So even as Christians, we'll say, well, you know, even Jesus said the hungry will always have. And so our sense of attention or um, empathy or action becomes mm -hmm. very diluted. Yeah. Uh, right now, just to give folks uh, a quick microcosm of what's going on in our nation, still the wealthiest nation in the world, mm -hmm. because of COVID, because of issues and challenges of climate change, because of rising costs, uh, because of conflict, not just in Ukraine, mm -hmm. but also in Yemen and Tigray and Ethiopia and South Sudan and other places around the world. Mm -hmm. There are some real challenges, both nationally and globally. Just in the U.S., 13 million children are food insecure in our own nation. 13 million children. Wow. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, these are our neighbors. These are people within our congregations. Uh, mm -hmm. The lines that we saw a couple years ago at the height of lockdowns, mm -hmm. uh, while those lines, mm -hmm. they may not be present at this moment, mm -hmm. but we should not dismiss the reality that people are still experiencing hunger globally. Uh, yeah. This is sobering, but 50 million people are on the brink of famine around the world. Uh, 828 million people go to hungry. Food prices have um, gone up 50, mm -hmm. 60, sometimes 100%. Mm -hmm. 
And and I want to just share this one thing about food prices. Now, when you and I, uh, let me just speak for myself, Viv, because I don't know your situation, but, you know, when I go to my local food store, uh, I notice the increases in prices. My wife and I will Mm -hmm. complain, Mm -hmm. we'll whine, we'll go, this is ridiculous. How come Mm -hmm. it's gone up 20%, whatever it might be. But the end of that trip to the markets, if we really want or need something, we'll get it. Why? Because we can. Mm. We have that privilege, that luxury, that benefit. We have that margin to be able to do it for the most vulnerable communities around the world. Even before COVID, Mm -hmm. researchers have shown us that the most vulnerable communities spend about 40 to 50% of all of their income on food. Wow. Wow. So when food prices have gone up 50 or doubled up, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be sensationalistic. It literally becomes a matter of life and death. Wow. And so this is the reason why we still live in a world where every 11 seconds, a child under the age of five, every 11 seconds, because of the complexities of malnutrition, a child will lose one's life. Wow. So when you say, why do we do this work? Because I I truly believe that while there are many things that influence human flourishing, at the most basic element, the most basic element for me is water and food. Yeah, yeah. And so we're trying to ensure, of course, we believe man does not live on bread alone, but don't misinterpret this. Man also needs food. This is why when Jesus feeds the multitudes of people in John chapter 6, it says that Jesus had compassion on them. He cares about their spiritual needs. Mm -hmm. The part of spiritual flourishing is Mm -hmm. physical health and physical wellness. It's physical nourishing. Mm -hmm. And so this is the reason why um, I took on this role a couple of years ago to become president at Bread for the World. And then the last thing that I'll just say, because I think this is really important. Mm -hmm. um, I I want folks here to know that politics is important Mm -hmm. and that when you and I are asking people to be wise about politics, Mm -hmm. for me, it's not because I think politics is irrelevant or non-consequential. Politics at its most basic definition is about governance. It's about how people live together and function together. So we actually need healthy politics for healthy governance for a healthy society. So when people say what's going on around the world, it's because we have unhealthy politics Mm. leading to unhealthy governance, which is unhealthy leaders producing unhealthy society. Now, I'm not trying to blame it all on our elected leaders, but they need to own up to some of their, um, some of their role in all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I think is dangerous is partisan politics. Mm. It's not politics. It's partisan right. politics. Yes. It's when we ultimately, our allegiance is to red or blue. Mm-hmm. Our allegiance is to political leaders uh, in short, I have a chapter in my book basically mm-hmm. entitled Don't Go to Bed with Political Parties. Our ultimate allegiance, mm-hmm. um, as humbly as we can, is mm-hmm. to Christ, to the kingdom of God, 
and to the practices of Jesus, to mm -hmm. the ways of Jesus. So the reason why Bread for the World is so important, and for those that have never heard of bread, please visit us at mm -hmm. bread.org. Yes. Lend your voice. Join us because we're trying to help. We're working on legislation for years. Mm. Uh, we're working on one mm. legislation right now called the Global Malnutrition Prevention and Treatment Act. It's passed the House overwhelmingly bipartisan. It's passed mm -hmm. through the Senate committee right now. It's waiting to be voted on the Senate side. Mm -hmm. If that gets passed, the president will sign it into law. Mm -hmm. The reason why politics matter is that it influences policies that ultimately impact people. That's right. And every time I read the scriptures, God cares about people. Oh, amen and amen. I remember years ago reading Half the Sky, the book Half the Sky. It took me, I'm usually a pretty fast reader, but that book took me a year and a half because the stories were so um heartbreaking troubling um i, I struggled to get through it but mm. at the core really was you know brilliant children once they had food could then engage in school and those who had their basic needs met um they're all the potential for some of the answers to our problem the inventors and those that will become the leaders that could change policy, but it was really directly related. And in this case, I think the story that I remember was a little girl in India, and because uh, the boys were still valued over the girls in that country, mm -hmm. uh, they would feed the boys and not the mm -hmm. girls. And once the mm -hmm. little girl got food, she just excelled because she had food, something mm -hmm. so basic. And I, so I, I absolutely am cheering you on, Eugene, in, the work that you're doing it's um so important and it is a matter of life and death and it, it, i think um the minute that we can like re <laughs> reassess and maybe reevaluate where our time is given you know it's easy to uh i think in the midst of feeling so overwhelmed and even what you described at the very beginning mm -hmm. like welcome to our life right now we all feel in various levels overwhelmed dealing with grief, fear, uh, rage, you know, all those things. It's yeah. easy to just um, try to find the comfort in Netflix binges or just, you know, endless scrolling or buying things on Amazon or whatever it is instead of mm. understanding that what you talked about at the very beginning, that when Jesus entered the world, it was at the exact right time. And I'm being reminded over, over and over, even in this conversation, that we are placed here on this earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it mm -hmm. is in heaven. That there's, it's not haphazard. So mm. that we are walking in this moment is not an accident. And mm. so I just love that you would call us to, um, mm. to be wise and to engage and to not just numb out and walk away or turn away or go it's too complicated or it's um impossible to to fix um, mm. so i appreciate that so much um, yeah friend. well vivian amen a amen and i i just think you you're you're pastoring 
your audience and you're pastoring me and thank you for that. And, and for those that feel overwhelmed, sometimes we need to just breathe, mm-hmm. retreat, Sabbath, yeah. take a break. It's a marathon. It's yeah. unsustainable for us. You know, uh, a couple of years ago when I began my job as part of what I needed to do, I, I felt like I needed to be updated in all the things that were going on around the country and around the world. And I was watching news constantly. Mm. And I began to realize it, I was, it was gluttonous. Mm. Uh, gluttony takes lots of different forms. It was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't sustain that. And, and life is a marathon. Discipleship is a marathon. Faithfulness is a marathon. Engagement is a marathon. And so let's give ourselves permission Mm-hmm. Uh, to retreat and breathe and rest and pause and to be able to find pockets and moments and seasons of these things as we continually engage as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can get so immersed on the big picture things, the, the big national news. But I want to just remind myself and others that uh, faithfulness and discipleship, more often than not, it's local. Mm-hmm. It's the here and now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what does it mean to literally love our neighbors? What does it mean to cross the street? Uh, what does it mean to invite someone over to your house? What does it mean to say hello to someone that you haven't said hello to? What does it mean to ask for forgiveness? What does it mean mm-hmm. to do the very simple things in the art of neighboring, That's in right. being a good neighbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just want to remind people that um, this idea that... Um, we have to change the entire world. It's kind of a marketing, uh, 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 I think, a statement. Mm. Um, our calling is not to save the entire world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to just simply do our part mm-hmm. and trust that others are doing their part mm-hmm. and that we're choosing to especially be mindful of those who are vulnerable, who are experiencing marginalization for those who might feel invisible in our society and world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so again, I want to encourage people, uh, don't give up. Mm, That's such a good word for this very moment. Compassion International is working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name through its one-on-one child sponsorships. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, your $38 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. Letters from your child will help you keep updated on their life and development. Your sponsorship ensures this child will have hope, hope that poverty will end with him or her. But your Compassion Sponsorship doesn't just provide for the needs of the child. Compassion cares for the whole family. Your sponsorship will change one child, one family, and one community. There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship, children who are desperate for hope. To partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text IVY Media, that's I-V-E-Y Media, to 83393. Or go to compassion.com slash ivymedia. The link will also be in the show notes. That's compassion.com slash ivymedia. Hey everyone, do you have big goals for 2023? I'm actually pretty excited about this new year. And that's in part because of the Prep Dish Meal Plans 
Subscribers receive an email every week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping meals ahead of time. If you don't think you have time to meal prep, I used to think the same thing. But with the Prep Dish Super Fast Meal Plans, I can prep five healthy dinners in just one hour. Every Friday, I receive meal prep meal plans straight into my inbox. I have the choice of either gluten-free, paleo, low-carb, and super fast meal plans. So if you want to serve healthy, homemade meals without the stress, the founder, Allison, is offering listeners of Some Days Here a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out prepdish.com slash Vivian for this amazing deal. Well, I'm going to shift gears with us quickly because something that's so unique about the Some Days Here community is that we really do um, celebrate our heritage. And I would love to hear a little bit of your ethnic journey. Like, um, tell us a little bit about what growing up was like and how you have embraced your um, Korean American identity and how that came about. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I love that about who you are and about, you know, your community and this podcast as well. And um, so I was born in Seoul, South Korea and immigrated when I was six years old. And I am one of three sons of parents who were born in extreme hunger and poverty. Mm. It's sort of a common story among that generation. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was born in what is now called North Korea. Uh, he was born in a very small uh, village outside of a city called Pyongyang, which is now the capital city of North Korea. And it's really interesting because if you were to ask my father, like, where were you born? He would say Korea. And if you said, well, north or south, it would take him a few seconds to mm -hmm. like register because back then there wasn't a north or a south. It was just one country. Yes. So in his body, in his mind, he holds the trauma of war, the trauma of experiencing division of a nation, including family who chose to stay behind. Yeah. He spent some time as a child living in a refugee camp, separated from some of his family members as the war took place, mm -hmm. shared stories about needing to pull out grass from the ground to consume those uh, those things to satisfy hunger pangs. Wow. And in his desire and my mother's desire to offer to his children, to their children, what they could not experience, that was their main motivation mm -hmm. to come to the United States. The U.S., far from a perfect nation, but a nation of opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and so they came and it was hard. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I shared those stories is because my parents' story the story of immigration, mm -hmm. it influences my worldview every single day. Yes, It's not something that happens during AAPI month. Every single mm -hmm. day, it shapes the way that I see the world and the way that I want to live my life as well. Mm -hmm. In some ways, that's the reason why hunger is such a passionate issue for me, not just theologically, but practically as well. You know, my wife and I, we were on food stamps early on in our marriage as well. And we experienced uh, the, um, the, the importance of safety nets. Mm. But immigration was hard, beautiful, challenging. Yeah. Uh, my parents uh, didn't tell us that we were immigrating, uh, at least didn't tell me. And so it was at the airport when we got onto the airplane that I realized that we were immigrating. Wow. And it was stunning, shocking, 
and so emotional. Mm-hmm. And when I got off the airplane in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, this is no, not meant to sound awkward or weird, but it was the first time I think I saw white people. Mm-hmm. I saw yeah. Americans for the very first time. One week later, I'm taking the San Francisco Muni bus system to go to Sherman Elementary School. And just imagine all of that emotional, just angst, anxiety, trauma. I have the, uh, the badge of honor of flunking first grade. And uh, one of the reasons why I flunked first grade, this is probably way too much information, but just to give people a glimpse, but uh, the scariest thing for me as a six-year-old was raising my hand mm. in class. And I rarely did this, Mm -hmm. but there were moments when I was wrestling with my bladder and I had to go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't raise my hands. And so I would, uh, I would wet my pants. Mm. And uh, of course, kids can be brutal uh, and thus led to uh, lots of chants about Eugene and uh, uh, a pant wetter. And I flunked first grade. And uh, so that was hard. Uh, but through it all, you know, you begin to explore your identity. And then you go through a season where you hate it. At least I did. Mm-hmm. I just detested being an Asian. Mm-hmm. I hated being Korean because I was seen as an other, mm-hmm. being mocked or ridiculed, uh, the racist chants, not by all, but some, but it hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Like those stuck in your heart so much more than the kindness that you would experience from others. Yeah. Uh, And then you went through another season of your life when you began to go through an identity crisis. Who am I? Uh, Not just ethnically, but even spiritually, who do I belong to? What am I about? Mm. But that's a little glimpse of my ethnic spiritual journey. Did you know that the U.S. Asian population is projected to reach 46 million by 2060? The growth of the Asian American population has slowed but remains among the highest of any major racial or ethnic group since 2000. According to a Pew Research study, between 2000 and 2019, the Asian origin population in the U.S. grew 81%. California, Texas, and New York accounted for 43% of the growth. In terms of growth rates, North Dakota and South Dakota saw the fastest increase. The 2020 U.S. Census reports that 24 million people identify as Asian alone or in combination with another race. 1.6 million people identify as Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander in combination with another race. And that's this week's Did You Know? So when you look back now, do you see pivotal moments when you, you know, moved from that um, internalized racism that I think a lot of Asian Americans experience to a place where you now celebrate um, your heritage and who you are and the and the story that comes with, you know, your family and your family's family and beyond. Do you, are there markers for you, Eugene, where you really see something that changed? And if so, what was happening that brought you to that place? Yeah, this is a great story. And uh, I feel like I'm speaking to my therapist here. Uh, you, better not char- <laughs> you better not charge I, me. I will admit, and he's a therapist, so you, you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't, don't, don't send me a bill. But you know, I, 
I, I do think there are a couple markers that stand out for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like there was one moment where the aha, everything flipped, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in sixth grade, I was voted the shyest kid in middle school. Really? Developed a stuttering problem, which I still struggle with. People don't know this, but in my mind, I have to do extra work to get my mm -hmm. words processed out. Mm -hmm. I've had to do some work on this. But when in sixth grade, I was the kid sitting alone in cafeteria, mm. in the corner, eating my food, wondering why my parents, why my mom prepared the food that I was eating because it had mm -hmm. either uh, a smell or looked strange mm -hmm. to others. And so you're going through all of this like emotional angst. And I know many Asian Americans understand and empathize with this now man that was the greatest meal i'll, I'll take that meal any sure. any day of the week <laughs> yes but as a sixth grader yes uh, again no friends anxious scared mm -hmm. bullied and i remember in the middle of the school year in the middle of the school year sitting alone in the cafeteria someone taps me on the shoulder i'm nervous because i thought maybe it was another kid about to make fun of me or bully me um, I turn around and it happened to be the most popular girl in our middle school. Uh, her name was Ingrid. Mm -hmm. She was eventually voted the president of our middle school. Mm -hmm. uh, she was uh, this African-American, later find out she's a Christian. Mm. But she said the most, one of the most profound words to me that to this day, I look back mm -hmm. and I felt like it caused a shift in in my future mm -hmm. in that moment but in the future as well yeah she taps me on the shoulder she looks at me and then she says eugene i'm shocked a because she knew my name mm -hmm. and then she said can i sit and eat with you wow that moment i mean even right now as i'm uh recounting it gets me a little emotional yeah <laughs> because I, I think it's a reminder that there's no one single action that's um, that one act of kindness mm -hmm. can have such a profound impact. Yeah. And so I look back and it felt as if that moment was, you're welcome here. Mm. We, we, we see you. Yes. And it came from someone that didn't look like me. Yeah. So that, that was really impactful for me in many ways. Um, and I would say another marker, you know, just later on was, um, and I know it might sound a, a little spiritually cheesy, but it was when I really began to go on a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. um, I became a Christian at the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And as part of that journey, yes, I, I accepted Christ into my heart Mm -hmm. uh, the phrases that we often use in certain circles within the church, all of that was true. But I think in understanding that journey, I began to realize that in God's sovereignty, mm -hmm. he created me the way that I am. Mm. That being Korean was a blessing. Mm. Uh, being Korean American, that bicultural identity in God's sovereignty, not meant to be taken as arrogance or ethnic arrogance, sure. but as meant to receive as, gosh, in God's goodness, he saw that it would be good that I was 
um, a Korean man, a, a bicultural Korean American son. Yes. And I'm to steward that wisely, mm. uh, not to abuse, but to steward mm. that wisely, to embrace good things, mm -hmm. to have honesty about elements, about that bicultural identity that might not be God honoring yes. and to acknowledge those things and to continue to live faithfully in his service. Wow. That's beautiful. So, so incredible. And it reminds me that those little acts of kindness, I mean, to all our listeners, that you just never know what happens in a person's life when we extend an invitation or notice or speak words of encouragement and belief. And I, um, I see you paying that forward uh, over and over. So thank you so much for being willing to even to share those parts of your journey. Um, you have led Eugene in so many different capacities as a pastor and um, as a founder of One Day's Wages. I mean, all of that. What are some leadership principles that you use as maybe guidelines or mm. um, that you would hope that would mark your life as a leader or, or even principles that you seek to be more like in yeah. qualities mm -hmm. of leadership? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. You know, I'm turning 52 soon, and um, uh, I want everyone to know that I still look like I'm in 30s because Asians don't raise in. That's right. Uh, that's right. And uh, but so I'm still learning, and I'm still learning these principles. And I think I know some of the principles that guide me. And then there are moments I realize, wow. I've got to I've got to more deeply faithfully embody these things. Mm. Um, so right now I'm uh, in the early stages of working on a book about kind of similar to what you're asking. It's about what leadership principles guide us during these challenging times. And I don't want to share all of the principles, but maybe there's five things that I can just share really quickly. Is that, and I'm not a huge fan of alliteration, but mm -hmm. it just happens to be for the sake of better teaching, learning, sharing, they all start with the letter P. Okay. Um, I want to be someone that's pastoral. Mm -hmm. I want to embody prophetic. I want to embody prayerful. Mm -hmm. I want to be practical. And I always want to make sure that it's personal. Mm -hmm. um, and by pastoral, like I want to make sure that I understand that sometimes I think in our world where there's so much pain or outrage or justice we want to be prophetic we want to march and be an activist and praise god for that mm -hmm. but if we lose the spirit of love yes i think we could just be a resounding gong and not mm -hmm. know it and so i, I just want to encourage all of us even if we're not a pastor in title mm -hmm. what does it mean to be pastoral to understand mm -hmm. that all of us um, our souls uh, that has layers of emotions and feelings. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think we could all be about love and just reduce it to fuzzy nebulism, mm -hmm. uh, to mm -hmm. fuzzy. Yeah, it's very amorphous in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think God calls us to also be prophetic, to speak truth in love, yes. to be able to acknowledge when there are moments when we've got to speak up, when we've got to march, when we've got to be an activist, when we have to flip tables, when we have to speak up for those who don't have the luxury of being heard. Yes. Um, and we also should be practical. I think it's really tempting in our world today 
you know, uh, you and I are on a Zoom call right now where we do our activism on a keyboard, when right. we're just tweeting, when we're just writing. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean that it actually um, impacts and makes a difference? Um, we should be prayerful, mm -hmm. uh, meaning that uh, I see too many people that are burning out because we're relying on our own strength. We're relying on versions of chariots and horses mm -hmm. and this is a spiritual battle it's a spiritual mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. and so i think to be rooted in prayer uh, you and i both know jesus was busy he was pursued mm -hmm. uh, he was wanted by so many people there were so many needs and yet i'm amazed at the moments mm -hmm. where scripture says he retreated he withdrew he prayed he rested he slept Mm -hmm. So the importance that we're tending uh, and gardening to our spiritual life. Uh, and the last one that I would just say is the principle that it's always personal, mm -hmm. um, that it's something that we live in our own lives. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that we embody. Uh, it's not a show. It's not something we highlight on social media. Uh, when people follow me on social media, let's just be honest, I look so much taller in all of my social media. <laughs> and then they see me and they go, whoa, you're not 6'4", dude. What's going on? It's all about it's, the angle of the camera, right? Eugene? Exactly. You, you know how that goes. You know how it goes. I totally goes. know how that goes. So, For me, it's yeah. like the dirty kitchen, but I can take a photo. And if you just like panned out, it's a complete disaster. But in that moment, the sunbeam is hitting the the trees and the it's perfect i go man vivian's <laughs> life is so perfect what's going on no, no but i think something about that we um that we live it mm. uh, that we embody it in mm. both the mountaintops the valleys and everything in between and so mm -hmm. those are five things that I, I i i would share with uh your audience and community uh in hopes that it might be helpful Oh, I think they're absolutely helpful. And I see you living those very principles out. So thank you for being a man of integrity and humility in being willing to admit that you're also in a process and you haven't attained this place of having it all together. Um, to me, you have been a leader who has been relatable, authentic, and uh, courageous. So thank you for your example and your your kindness in all of this. So um, how can people connect with you and how can they learn more about the organization that you lead? Yeah, they can follow us on bread.org or also onedayswages.org. I would again love for people to sign up for either of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, if they want to see my perfect life and my <laughs> tall angled pictures. With all the big uh, fish you catch. All the big fish, yes. <laughs> I was so, I'm so disappointed you didn't ask me a question about all of my fishing trips. I but, know, that'll be the um, next the next, next one yeah yeah but they can follow me on instagram twitter and also on facebook as well at eugene c eugene cho yep just at simply eugene. at eugene cho okay great well thank you so much for taking time i know that your life is extremely full and it just means so much that you'd be willing to jump on early and have this conversation and i look forward to our paths crossing in real life soon eugene Let's do that soon. I want to see that kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> sure thing. That sounds great. Have a Thank great you. day. Bye. Someday is Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. 
It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, and assistant editor is Ashley Miner. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden, and the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Somedays Here community, check us out on the socials at Somedays Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. <laughs>